Get a nice crunch going. Mm-hmm. I'm like the owl from the Tootsie Pop commercials. How many licks does it take to get to the a center one, of a Tootsie Pop? A two, a three. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 17. In today's episode, we are talking about Stuart Onan's The Night Country. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy, fellow host, Jacob. Hello, and welcome, yes, to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our book club, book cult, book thing, book cave. Book cave. Book cave. All right. You just slip on into a little, like, dark and damp book cave. I don't know if that would be the, the, the thing I'd go with, but yes, hello and welcome. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm good. On a wonderful... Special recording day, a Sunday morning for us. Yes. This is weird. Normally we record, you know, like weekday evenings. Yeah. Um, but a mix of uh, me being sick and having too sultry of a voice for the <laughs> podcast and uh, had to put it off a little bit. But here we are back in the studio and we're doing long form fiction again. It's exciting. We've, yes. We've kind of forayed the last little bit into short stories and narrative nonfiction. So I will say it was a little bit interesting getting back into just sort of a. You know, the meat of a story again, right? Yes. Um, so that'll be fun. Anyway, welcome. Yes, episode 17, a pretty standard episode. Mm. Uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about the author, Stuart Onan, give you a brief summary, and then we're just going to get into the meat of the book. We're going to talk about our questions that we have. I know you've got a ton. Yeah, I've got a whole sheet. So I'm I'm super excited about that. And then uh, at the end, we'll give you our patented three-tier, four if we're getting rid of it, five if we're baking it into a pumpkin pie, six (laughs) if uh, we're just going to use it as a white elephant gift uh, in the future. I don't think that's ever going to come to that, but uh, you never know. All right. So before we get into into the author and book summary, uh, let me just say, if you haven't read the book, go buy the book, read the book, and then listen to the podcast. That's how book club things usually work. If you showed up to a book club having never read the book, uh, you're probably just going to be sitting there staring at people going, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't It just seems weird to me that you would want to listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read. So yeah. go pick it up. You won't regret it. Um, should we talk about Onan? Yes, we it. shall. Let's do it. Uh, so Stuart Onan, American novelist. He was born in uh, 1961. Grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, which, by the way, is a great city if you've never been there. Beautiful city. Didn't expect it. Don't like the football team, but uh, great city. Uh, he has his Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering from Boston University. Yeah. Okay, that's that's just naturally just transition into a life as a novelist, of course. Well, so it's kind of a guy after my own heart. So he did like some aerospace, uh, like, you know, business related, obviously engineering uh, related stuff. And then at his wife's behest, I guess he was doing some some writing as well. Um, He left and got his uh, MFA, uh, Master of Fine Arts uh, in 1992 from Cornell. No big deal. Okay. Um, and then from there, he went on uh, to academia. He taught, uh, moved to Oklahoma, taught at University of Central uh, Oklahoma, and then uh, University of New Mexico. I'm not sure if he's still teaching or not, um, but he is friends with Stephen King, uh, which I think, which I think is interesting. Matter of fact, well, it makes sense because King did praise the uh, he did praise Stuart Onan, yes, especially on the cover of this book, but. I actually, not as a real like little quick interjection, Yeah, I actually had some moments where I thought a little bit about Stephen King throughout this book. I, I don't know how much, I don't know how much you've read of Stephen King. I didn't, and I've never read a Stephen King. You've never read I any, never. well then it makes sense that you've ne- you didn't have a moment of thinking of yeah. any Stephen I King. I mean, I've, I've, book, se- I've seen plenty of movies based on his books. Ah, those are different. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, back to Stuart O'Neill. Yeah, so, uh, well, back to Stephen King actually. So, so they're friends. Apparently, Stephen King is is a Red Sox fan. Uh, Onan became a Red Sox fan when he was at university, and they together co-authored a book called Faithful to Diehard Boston Red Sox Fans Chronicle the Historic 2004 Season. So that that was when the curse was, was yeah, broken. Yeah, I remember that was yeah. the uh, that was the Kurt Schilling bloody yeah, sock yeah, bloody ankle. Sock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. That's how that, good of friends they are. That, uh, is, that is an odd pairing, it would seem, for a sort of sports like year chronicle like history 
Yeah, I mean, telling. that's strange. I guess. I mean, everybody's got got their own things. Like sure. we're, we're diehard football fans, like NFL fans. So that's true. I mean, you know, just because you are yeah. a writer or whatever doesn't but mean, or an aerospace the, engineer. Yeah. The Eagles aren't write. knocking at my door to write a story about uh, their historic Super Bowl season. That was just me to get a humble brag in that the Eagles won the Super Bowl because <laughs> obviously they wouldn't come to me. I'm not a writer. Yeah. Uh, all right. So other other books that that he's written uh, and I've read uh, last night at the Lobster uh, about basically the last night before Red Lobster shuts down like for good. Uh, the odds about this family uh, or this couple, I should say, kind of on the verge of divorce and, and some financial ruin. Uh, they go to uh, stay at a casino, Niagara Falls, and kind of them trying to salvage the relationship and uh, bet their savings to try to sort of salvage uh, their their financial situation. Uh, both very good. Um, also, a prayer for the dying. Um, and then probably, I guess, his most famous is Snow Angels, which was made into a movie in 2007. Never with, seen it. With Sam Rockwell, Rockwell uh, who I think is the guy who played... Uh, uh, Chief Gordon, uh, from from the the Batman trilogy. Um, Sam, no, 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 no. Who is Sam Rockwell then? Have you ever seen Moon? Moon, no. Do you remember Iron Man two? Yes. Okay. See was... now you're you're in my vein of movies. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, oh God, what was the? He was Tony Stark's competitor guy. Oh, oh, oh. Sam okay, Rockwell. okay. Yeah. Kind of a younger. Version yes. of the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and you were thinking uh, of Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I just shouldn't even. Just the like, shame that you're yeah. bringing upon your house right now with your <sighs> inadequate movie assessment. Yeah. Well, I I don't proclaim to be good at movies. That's fine. Um, and his latest book, um, from 2016 is the uh, City of Secrets, which I haven't picked up, uh, but it apparently is about like the uh, the I guess revolution or independence of Israel and and some stuff there. I did a quick interesting quick read over that. Yeah, it sounded it sounded interesting. He seems to be very like all over the place when it comes to his, his subject matter, which is which is kind of cool. Um, all right, so this book, you want to give us our our summary? Yes, I will. G- <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna interject. Well, spoiler alert: anything else by him, I'd probably be interested in reading. Not to yeah spoil kind of how I felt about this book. Yeah, but anyway, the Night Country by Stuart Onan is a story about the deaths of three teenagers in a car accident who remain behind as spooky ghosts to witness the effect <laughs> this accident has had on those left behind one year later. Less spooky ghosts, though. Yeah, more just kind of ghost ghosts. All right, elephant in the room, Ryan. Here we go. First question I have to ask, do you believe in ghosts? And if so, whatever definition you want to bring to the table for ghosts, yes, it doesn't have to necessarily be like ghost hunters on sci-fi definition of ghosts or whatever movie definition of ghosts. Do you believe in something possibly resembling ghosts? I believe in people's ability to believe in them and make them real in their own minds. Okay. I do not believe in their actual existence. Do you believe more so in just the creativity of human mentality? Yes. Is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. You've do you never, believe in ghosts? I don't explicitly believe in ghosts. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm very curious. I, I mean, obviously, everyone's very curious about what happens to us after yeah. we die, right? Yeah. After our human form is shed and... You know, we like to think that we have this sort of essence, whether it's a soul, whether it's, you know, something in particular that uh, extends beyond just your physical form that maybe persists after you, you know, pass away. And yeah, what exactly happens to that? Who knows? But I don't know if I I don't know. I, I don't I don't necessarily believe in that, like, explicit idea of there being sort of a persistent element in human beings that exists beyond their physical form. OK, I think it's a curious thing to think about. Yeah. Um, and I certainly think that and, and we can get into kind of where I'm leading to this is kind of how I define a ghost in this book. OK. Versus how I guess a traditional ghost would seem, because in a lot of ways, I really liked the way that it was kind of tackled in this book, that these these ghosts, these spirits were sort of thrust around based on, you know, kind of the, the, the humans that were still around, the people that were still, you know, dealing with this dramatic incident and thinking about them. Or yeah. Sort of giving them sustenance, allowing them to 
to live. And that's an interesting thought to me. And, 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 you know, on a very, I guess, philosophical level, maybe that is that sort of human essence that lives beyond. It's not a physical, it's not a, you know, necessarily like an energy that exists in the world. It's, yeah, it's sure, your sure, memory, sure. right? It's something that persists beyond you. And, and in a lot of ways, I feel like that's kind of what this book was sort of injecting with that there, right? Is that yeah. it's not necessarily the physical nature of them being ghosts, although it, the, the things that they do, it, it does kind of explicitly physically put them there. And right. there are even other ghosts, I guess, or other things that they encounter and even sort of weird ghost half measures like Kyle's kind of disassociated yeah. itself. But yeah. that's a whole other thing. Yeah, and and it seems like um, he did sort of a unique thing um, with sort of ghosts, like you know, movies or, or books. Normally, ghosts tend to be tied to like uh, a physical place, usually where yeah. like that, like you know, their death occurred, or sure. maybe they lived, or you know, something something of that nature. Um, and in this one, they are tied to, you know, people's conscious thoughts of them. So these yeah. ghosts are, are really like an extension of like consciousness, which I think is why like Kyle's got like a half ghost, right? Because yeah. like his consciousness is, is sort of shattered by the accident and he's not, you know, not a, a fully functioning person, you know, mentally. Um, so I think that's why Kyle has a ghost not to, like pop that uh that idea out there too early but um well spoiler they've already read it so they know that Kyle has a half pseudo ghost yeah but so you know I I think I I appreciated sort of a fresh perspective on like how the ghosts functioned um yeah. and, and then I think the other thing that I really liked about the ghosts themselves is that these are these are kids yeah and you see that in the, in the way that they they act, the way that they interact. Uh, I mean, even Toe's sort of like courting of of Danielle that's implied throughout. Um, you know, I mean, it's that's high school stuff, right? Yeah. It's your buddy's girlfriend, even yeah. though she's dead, you're still trying to like. Yeah, you're you both know, dead. Yeah, so you're really, st- still trying to 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 get in, you know, and and kind of make inroads there. Um, so I kind of I kind of appreciated that, but I I would argue that. Uh, this book really isn't about the ghosts at all. It's really about the living. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, do you want to talk about? Because um, for me, it, it's it's really about Tim and Brooks. I think you you wanted to add Nancy, Kyle's mom. Uh no, I think Nancy. I think Nancy's a big part of it, just because like through the lens of of Nancy and and her husband and dealing with Kyle, because we don't really get a lot out of Kyle. I mean, really, it's just more so like we see the effect that it's had on him. Yeah, through Nancy and everything like that. But the thing for me um, was just like, obviously, you kind of pull out the ideas of loss and regret and guilt. And uh, to some extent, even with Tim, I kind of had atonement in there as though he feels like he needs to. Yeah. But I guess even with Brooks, that's that's the thing is I I, initially I was coming in here like, okay, if you had to assign one of these to each of the characters, because I assigned them the way that I thought. But if you had to assign them in the most sort of way you thought represented each of them, how would you have assigned loss, regret, and guilt to either Nancy, Tim, or Brooks? And maybe why? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brooks Brooks has a, a considerable amount of guilt. Yeah. Um, but so does Tim, because, you know, he obviously doesn't feel like, like he should be um, alive. Um, but I think his is more rooted in, in sort of a, uh, a sense of loss, you know that that he carries you know these mementos especially around with uh, around Danielle with him yeah and sort of ruminates on all of that um you know and then and i i guess Nancy would be you know guilt um you know Kyle's behavior before the crash like him acting out and all that kind of stuff um you know maybe you know maybe she feels that that she could have done something differently ahead of time she certainly is much more protective now of Kyle, um, yeah. you know, even even in his his current state. Um, but you know, I was thinking as as you were sort of asking that question about like sort of the stages of grief, and I didn't put enough thought into this to to go through it. But you could probably 
you could almost assign like one of the five stages of grief to like different characters in this book. And sometimes it seems like some of the characters sort of straddle those those stages. Yeah, but but it's I think one of the interesting things about all of these characters and even uh, like especially the parents, um, they they are all at different places. Right. So like, yeah. like we don't really ever see like Toe and, and Marco's families. And part of that is, is, you know, probably a writing decision on Onan's part that you can't expand the universe too much or you get away from, you know, I did, I core. did appreciate how focused it was, I guess. With, yeah. With uh, mostly Tim and Brooks. Right. As far as just dealing with the, dealing with the repercussions of that. And again, kind of like seeing, I always thought that the, uh, sorry to, no, you're fine. You're fine. Just, but I don't know of those two, I definitely enjoyed kind of seeing everything that it sort of, or at least I guess I related more just with Brooks on this and just that sort of immense amount of like guilt that he felt and everything just kind of unraveling within his world and yeah. just sort of the, and again, we can, we can get into this a little bit later, but you know, you kind of have him and Tim at these like two opposite ends, you know, Tim is a teenager, Brooks is this older man sort of at the end of his career. Yep. Tim is, you know, is, is pretty much accepted the fact that he's going to be trying to end his life to complete this, and Brooks is trying to stop it. You have this sort of like weird dichotomy, this sort of weird, I don't know, um, like difference, or, or, or I guess like, what's the word I'm thinking of here? Not not a competition, but you like have Like a juxtaposition. This, you have, well, you have this struggle yeah. between sort of youth and, and old age and... And in a way, this is kind of like a a weird homage to to youthfulness in 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 some ways behind it. But well, yeah, I think I think it's it was interesting to me the the irony of Tim survived this this terrible thing, and you know he was the one person that walked away, you know, physically capable um, and mentally capable yeah. after. After this, he has his entire life ahead of him to do whatever he wants to now. Um, yet he's the one that wants to die. Um, Brooks, on the other hand, ostensibly has every logical reason to not want to be around. His wife left him. His his life is in financial ruin. His yeah. career is on the downside. Uh, you know, he's he's dealing with his his grandmother. Uh, you know, and by extension, implying that the rest of his family is not you know supporting him. Sure. Yet he, you know, still wants to move forward. He wants to move into an apartment. He wants to, you know, retire. He wants to do all these all these things. And and uh, you know, so that was that was one thing that I thought was that was interesting about the relationship between the two is that you know Brooks seems to understand that you know, and and, and it, it is a, a sort of a youthful thing that yeah. Um, once you go through enough tragedy, you realize that you know anything is a, is a single point in time. You can get past you know, whatever, whatever things you have going on, even if that roots in, you know, unhealthy behavior, like, like Brooks obsessing uh, over these kids and, you know, Tim and all that. But, you know, Tim and his youthfulness can't see past the moment. He can't see the rest of his life. All he sees is what's already happened and how he feels today. And, you know, that's, that's just something that, you know, I know I dealt with when I was a teenager. I mean, everything, Absolutely. Uh, seemed like it was the the end of the world, you know, a grade uh, not being the way it was or knowing that I had to have a specific conversation with my parents, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I, th- I think that's that's an interesting uh, situation between Tim. No, and absolutely. It's a thing in here, just sort of the the nature of perspective. Right. And yeah. As you as you get older, it, it doesn't necessarily lessen the tragedy because you see that Brooks still deals with it like incredibly in an incredibly difficult way. But yeah. it's just you have, I don't know, you just have more. I, I I don't know if it's necessarily an attachment to to your life. You have more, maybe not not even from a traditional standpoint that you have more to live for, but you just have more experience. You have more of just a, a depth of understanding and, and despite the fact that it's, you know, and, and we've addressed this in a few other books too. It's just this idea of kind of like dealing with painful memories or, or just sort of like dealing with, with time and how it changes and shapes those things. But the reality of it is, is, and I think in some way, the difference between those two characters is that you do, you have this sort of wealth and this time that's expanded that's allowed you to sort of, I don't know, have a better understanding I and, yeah. and I can say the same thing, like, you know, in, in the same vein that anytime I've had 
something that's been sort of a tragic episode or, or anything that's been just sort of discomfort or, or uncomfortable or, or, or unfamiliar or whatever, you know, earlier on in my life, you know, there were times where I would just freeze up. You would, you would be uh, unable to move. You would be unable to act. You would be just thinking that everything, the sky was falling, everything is completely collapsing around you. And then it's crazy to look back and think of some of those things in a different light with a different perspective on it in kind of old age. Not that I would consider myself old age or even <laughs> middle age. I'm a very young and, and virile man, but no, it is, <laughs> it is, uh, it is interesting. <laughs> that is not how I would describe you at what? 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah. I'm uh, a, I am a young and virile and barely functioning man <laughs> in some form or fashion. Um, so let's, let's talk about like, like Brooke's obsession, because I think at this point in our lives, we could probably relate a little bit better with with Brooks as a character, which is which is kind of well. I guess it's not strange. I mean, it's to be expected. Like I would hope that you would not be better relating with teenagers, but it is kind of strange, right? When you move into that that realm of your life where we're not we're not middle aged, right? We're not you know twenty somethings, but just as like, far as like relating to characters, it's it is strange a little bit that you kind of just see these like elements within like older older characters and you go yeah of course i relate to that a hell of a lot more than you know these teenagers even though i guess yeah i guess we're not so far removed from sort of those ideas and those thoughts and no like i get i get tim's perspective yeah. and uh and and in some ways not that like i certainly would condone <laughs> like suicide but like you can you can empathize with why he thinks and feels the the way he does, you know, at that point in in his life. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what did you think of of Brooks' obsession? Uh, like, not not the like following Tim and Kyle thing because I think that's pretty like self explanatory. But like him having the file and like obsessing over the details. Like, what did what did you think that he was trying to get out of that, or how do you think that helped Brooks? Because I struggled with what that was about. <sighs> it, I don't think it really helped. I think it was just. I don't know the that again, it just plays into that guilt and that we find out later towards the end of the book, whenever he's finally chasing down Tim, that it's like, you know, you know, he had sort of something involved with it, but we don't know until the end that he has like that direct involvement to right, it. Right. Right. And like, I get that just that obsessing over something, even though it's not necessarily like productive, it doesn't necessarily change anything. It doesn't necessarily seem as like a vehicle to sort of get any type of new revelation or understanding. It's just one of those things that you can just find yourself distressing over. And and that's, yeah. that's more so what I had got from it, that it was just this like element of distress that he just had to keep fixating on all of the minutia of what happened. And in, in, I forget there, the, the three they were talking about when he was on the scene and he was like measuring everything and right. like just a very calculated and mathematic way. And like, I can understand as a coping mechanism, like I feel like it was just sort of an escape to some extent, not necessarily like from the event itself, but just if you can, if you can focus on more of the, the facts or more of the sort of, it, it allows you to maybe have that kind of, um, that kind of like emotional separation to some extent. Yeah. Like you can kind of maybe keep it and not that that's necessarily what he's trying to do, but that you can kind of have this sort of detached view at it. And, and I can definitely understand sort of having that sort of detached mind state as a, as a mechanism for coping with this for sure. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize like what, what he was trying to get out of it other than that he was just, he was living it and, yeah. you know, needed to, sort of not forget, you know, the details of, of everything that, yeah. that he was a part of. Obviously it, it, you know, it cost him his, his marriage. Yeah. Um, and you know, probably rightfully so that's, you know, not a healthy thing. It sounded like he, you know, refused, um, you know, going in and getting help and stuff for it. Um, and you know, one thing I thought, I thought was, was interesting, um, and and you know again maybe like a, a decision to keep the the novel tight you know as as a writer but you know his his wife never conjured the ghost um, I don't remember the kids ever making a reference to like her you know other than like you know Brooks sort of relationship Brooks, 
um, to her. And I, I thought that was that was sort of interesting, too, and, and probably says something about her as a character, just her absence, you know, in that she never really thought about the kids um, that she never considered, you know, sort of their situation in, in all of this. Just just saw Brooke's behavior after the fact. Um, I mean, I get that to some extent, though, like any time that you've like somebody that you care about that's had sort of a great deal of distress, it it becomes less about sort of, you know, two steps removed about that. And more yeah. so you're thinking just about that person. But in the same vein as why we don't, you know, really see them with their parents is I think it's, you know, just a, a decision made for storytelling purposes that things are kind of just kept super tight because I feel like Brooks and Tim are essentially all we need as far as like pushing this along and, and yeah, kind of absolutely. getting out of this what we want. And, and then, you know, Nancy to some extent, but it's a little bit different with her than that. Did you feel differently about Brooks after the revelation that he had bumped the car in the first chase and basically caused the accident or yeah, seemingly I mean, it, could have caused it the makes, accident? Yeah, I mean, it makes more sense. Like a lot of the stuff that he does, you do kind of feel a little bit more guilty for him or I guess you feel more so like sympathetic towards his like rationale and understanding kind of what Tim is up to and yeah. trying desperately to stop that just yeah. because, you know, obviously he feels like he has that blood on his hands and well, he does, but yeah, just maybe in his mind, like in some way, just preventing just, just somehow stopping one more thing from happening can kind of begin to repair that within him. So. Yeah, I th- I had that moment when I was when I was reading that, and I had um I had forgotten between the first time I had read this years ago and and this read through that 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 little detail was in here. And I kind of had that like oh shit moment where yeah. uh, suddenly like yeah you sort of just understand like his perspective to everything yeah. like why he's obsessed. Suddenly it's not just he was chasing down these kids and they ended and then- up going off the road like. He helped them off the road. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe they don't, maybe they don't wreck. Maybe they don't, you know, pass. It's, it's, he is a huge part in that. And I can definitely understand the, I don't know, that weight, that, that burden that he carries even more so. Yeah. Um, you want to spend some time I, and talk about Kyle or what do you got? I had a question I, before yeah. we get too far up before, cause I know that you, the primarily, your questions are about the living. Yes. Because obviously I think that's the, probably the largest chunk of the book because we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of like growth and development from the ghosts really. They're just sort of a vehicle there to kind of narrate the story for us and to sort of give us that external viewpoint. Right. Right. In, In kind of a, in a more familiar way. But why do you think they're still around? Like I, outside of just the normal, outside of what you would expect for, out, like completely outside of the book and saying like, oh, well, it was kind of, you know, a device to tell the story or it was just interesting. Like, why do you think they are still around? Because this was the this was the biggest thing for me, because they're not really like atoning for anything that they did wrong. They're not really influencing the living all that much. They're just kind of, you know, there. They're not really they haven't really gained any wisdom. Like you've said, they're just they're just teenagers. They're just kind of like existing. They're not omniscient. They just sort of are drawn to these people that think about them they're just kind of attached in this moment so why do you think that is what do you think they're still around for you know i i don't know um one thing that i thought was was interesting was the very end of the book and was where where they the cop is like checking out the the second wreck then and the kids are are going up and looking at Brooks, and they say like, uh, so uh, this is on page two twenty five. Yeah, uh, says Brooks drips kissing. Uh, yeah, Brooks drips kissing the ceiling, and I wish everything had been different from the beginning. That we didn't require the sacrifice, but we did. You would too, believe me. Didn't you ever see the Wicker Man? And so. I I I got that a similar like question in my head, like you know why. Why are they still around? And then, obviously, why did why did this have to happen? But yeah, I I just for me, I guess I just I see the the ghosts as an an extension of like the the consciousness or the the memories of of the living. And I guess they're just they're still around, like because that's that's what you know people require of them. You know, it seems like the like ghosts like these kids specifically are are you know, 
sort of slaves to the thoughts of of everybody else and i think that they're around only for that purpose and then to kind of tie it into the comment at the end i th- i think now that the brooks and tim thing happened and and they're both dead now that event will eclipse the first wreck and sort of release them from the consciousness of of everybody and or at least kind of complete the circle yeah, to some extent. Yeah. I mean, now Tim and Brooks are going to be the ones that that people are going to talk about. They're they're, you know, they'll talk about it maybe in relation to these other kids, but that it'll, is be, true when it'll we think- be like removed, you know. It'll yeah. be like, "Oh, Tim and Brooks, you know, crashed into this tree because Tim wanted to kill himself because his friends died, you know, in a car wreck earlier." They're not going to be like you know, talking specifically about, you know, Toe and, and Marco and, and Danielle anymore. It's all going to be focused on on Tim and Brooks and the sort of collective consciousness of the community. That does make sense. That does get in that sort of freeing them. Yeah. If you if you feel of the mindset that they're kind of which they are, they're they're sort of tethered to people's thoughts. So yeah, they're not really sure. able to pass on into whatever existence, you know, lays beyond for them. So. What are what are your thoughts about um, in the same vein, it was kind of just, I felt like they were there not as a catalyst really, because again, they didn't really influence a lot of these things. They were there, I guess, to sort of like bear witness to, yeah. to the effect and to sort of, I don't know, just be an audience to, to this unfolding in this, in the same vein, like the completion of the circle, like, because really the, the only thing that I, that I guess was missing was, was Kyle, which was kind of. The whole Kyle was kind of the, not the odd man out, but just sort of, it felt like a completely separate sort of instance, like him and Nancy, I agree. just the, the way that that story sort of transpired in her and just the guilt she feels like when she's thinking about, you know, oh, she had another life, another family and how she should feel happy that like her son is alive, even though she's, you know like envious when she sees the moms and they're dropping off their kids in middle school and how she feels like her life is like never, it's like not progressing anymore yeah. because well, it's really not, not in a traditional stance, but that's so separate than kind of the, the Tim and Brooks thing. But yeah, it just, it, it did. It felt like they were like, they were just kind of there to see, to watch, to, yeah. to, to be there and see kind of the completion of this whole story. But at the same time, like they're actively engaged in the world, right? They they yeah. talk at one point about being able to like you know move uh, Brooks' holster um, to send uh, uh, animals running out into the road, um, so they can still like have some very, influence. Yeah, and and Danielle is actively trying to stop Tim, um, although we don't really know how. Like the kids are sort of you know at one point like reaching in and and touching Tim. Um, and, you know, so, so there's some kind of influence. I think Kyle's ghost following his mom around is sort of him trying to comfort her, you know? So he's always just sort of, um, just there, you know, just sort of, um, you know, just being in the, in the same room as as her, uh, or in the library or, or, or whatever. He's not like the kids are trying to do, you know, or Danielle really, uh, I guess Marco, Marcos, 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 Marco. whatever. Uh, <laughs> Marcos, I yeah. Marcos. Maybe I haven't Marcos. had enough coffee. Um, Marco, and, yeah. Uh, he, he's sort of trying to to stop things too, but you know, even even to that end, I didn't feel like they were committed to that. Toe certainly wasn't. Like, yeah, he was just like, yeah, he like, just wheels off. Yeah, I mean, he literally said when when Brooks died, he said, "Eat shit and die." <laughs> Right before that part that I that I read a minute ago, yeah. so he he clearly like wanted chaos uh, to to continue. Yeah, Toe was kind of a uh, Toe was kind of like me when I was a teenager. Really, I was kind of a shithead when I was a teenager at times. Maybe uh, not, maybe not fully. Yeah, but uh, that was the, not a question I had, but now one that I'm thinking of of the five of the five prereq teenagers which one or ones would you relate it to the most and you could think about that for a second no i i think i think i know the answer i think i would be i would have been marco just because like he's the one character where you don't really get a sense of like 
who he was or like what he's just sort of a background. Really at all. Yeah. You, yeah. He's he's our narrator. Yeah. Essentially. And so like that was that was kind of me in high school. Like I just tried to keep a low profile and like, you know, I, I played sports and stuff my first couple years and played music and stuff. But even like even in like I played in a band, not like school band. Um, but even then, like, you wow, know, on, cool. on stage. I was, no, in, no, no. I was in school band. I didn't I didn't get to play in cool. band. I, I just I just mean that, like, even even in that like sphere, I always tried to sort of like blend into the background. Yeah. Um, like I was I was never, you know, uh, sort of like interjecting myself uh, into things, which Marco really never does. Um, it's true. So I think I, I think I would have been him. Uh, but these are also probably not kids that I would have hung out with uh, in high school. Like, I don't. Not not that any of them I think are like bad kids. And it's funny, it's like, oh, like I was a tr- I was a troublemaker there for a little bit in high school. So really? that's why I say that's why I say a little bit of toe and probably a little bit of Tim. What's what's the the most ridiculous trouble you ever got into in high school? I mean, ridiculous from a legal standpoint, or ridiculous just from. Just like entertaining standpoint, like we don't need to go through your rap sheet or anything here. Oh, my I don't gosh. think you have any felonies. Put, you're putting me on the spot. No, 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 no. I, 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 I did get an MIP when I was 16, but I was 16. Okay. So, yeah, we decided. So at the time, um, all of my friends and I, you know, we were we thought we were hot shit because there was this like really crappy uh, bait shop down by White Rock Lake that we could walk into and get beers. And they'd ask us for a card and we'd give them the old line of, oh, I forgot. I left my ID at home. Oh no! <laughs> they jiggle a couple buttons on the register. Suddenly, it'd be fifteen dollars more expensive. But yeah. we get to purchase it and go. So we thought we were awesome. Loaded up my friend's uh, Bronco. Excellent. He had, he had a Ford Bronco, and uh, we thought, oh, it's time to go have like a raucous, wild party evening. But where are we gonna go? You know, we can't go like to our houses or whatever because our parents are there and they're yeah. gonna be upset. We had this place that we normally go over to. Uh, it's kind of like in a field, and it was nestled in between all these trees, but it was winter, so like all the leaves were gone. So yeah. we couldn't just hang out there. People would see us because it was right by a highway. So we thought, brilliant idea. We're going to go to the next town over. There's a housing development. Okay? Oh, boy. Not completed yet, but there's plenty of stuff up. We're going to pull all the way to the back of it that backs up to this like forest area. And we're just going to hang out and, and party there in the street. <laughs> yeah, cops saw us like 20 minutes in, like not even not even discreet whatsoever. Came, we're, we're sitting there, we're hanging out, whatever, and we see this car with its headlights off start eking into the, uh, oh, no. eking into the parking, or the, the housing development. We're like, oh, that's interesting. The car's just pulling in here slowly with its lights off. We're like, Oh shit, that's a cop, isn't it? It's a cop. Sure enough, lights yeah. come on. The sirens come. Like, shit, throw all the everything out of the back, everything out the back. Because oh, we thought the, oh, there's no way he'll know. Yeah. But uh, actually, I mean, they couldn't. Technically, we we chucked that shit pretty far, so they wouldn't have. But the killer was one of our friends uh-huh. in a panic, took his beer and opened up the middle console in the car and stuck it in there. Oh and closed Jesus! It like an idiot. So we got uh. busted. Yeah, it was kind of. That was uh, I was I was a pretty good kid. My first two years in high school, my junior year, I I was kind of a shithead, and then my senior yeah. year, we kind of turned it back around just in time to go to college. So, man, I uh, I had like the opposite experience. I was I was pretty I was pretty good uh, in high school. Like I never never snuck out, never went to parties or anything like that. Really? But, well, but part of that was like I moved from Wisconsin in in my junior year, so like I didn't have friends but didn't have like, like that long yeah yeah group. so i got into some ridiculous shenanigans uh right after high school but before i went to college there was yeah. there was one night in particular uh <laughs> that uh that i went out and uh went over to i had this buddy that uh whose parents just kind of didn't give a shit and uh so we'd go over there and, and just drink at his house and then yeah. uh we ended up um I ended up having I had this system with my parents where um, my mom would leave the hall light on and I turned the hall light off when I got home. And uh, for years, like, you know, I, I was honest about that that system. And there were probably a handful of nights just after high school that I uh, would, you know, turn the light off, stay home for a little while and then, you know, head back out or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, this one particular night I did that, went over to my buddy's house, had a few drinks and then we went to like steak and shake at like, you know, two in the morning. Uh, and then, 
and I shouldn't have been driving. I, and I did. I got home. I was super drunk. And uh, my mom wow. and dad wow. were both both waiting uh, in the dining room for me. I had to sleep on the floor in uh, in my parents' room like I was a child. No, no pillow or anything. Uh, so I was under like complete supervision. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't even high school. So that was about the that was about as wild as I got until I got to college, and then you know. Yeah, but College. we but we know plenty of those stories. Yeah, we don't, we, we don't, we need, don't to, need to get into yeah, that. Yeah, we don't need not to get for, into how much fun we had. That's in not today. Um, anyway, all right, and now that we got completely derailed yes. off of actually talking about this book, let's let's bring us back in. What do you got for me, question wise? Uh, so since we're talking about shitheads, let's let's talk <laughs> let's talk about Kyle a little bit. Um, so pre crash, pre crash, yeah, pre pre crash, Kyle selling weed out of his parents' house, like being ridiculous. Yeah. Um. And yet his mom like sort of disassociates, you know, her previous Kyle um, with the current Kyle. And and uh, yet she sort of misses that um, that part of him. But her life is now um, sort of an interesting um, illustration, I think, of, of what happens, you know, when when somebody dies. It's it's one sort of a, a, a sense of um, of you know, guilt, um, and, um, regret. And, you know, even though Kyle's still alive, she sort of embodies like, um, all of these sort of strange things and, you know, how it separates you from, from people. Her, her husband, uh, you know, is, is sort of loses himself in his work life and, you know, disassociate, disassociates himself from home. Yeah. And I got to thinking like if Kyle, if Kyle wasn't in the car, how do you think his parents would have been after the fact? Do you think like they would have been able to sort of reconcile their, their sort of um, separation? Would it have pushed Nancy in, uh, you know, sort of a, a more like guilty role than, than she's been in? Would she be angry, you know, at, at Tim for, I, I, I got to thinking about whether or not maybe Kyle dying wouldn't have been a good thing for Nancy. It's yeah. And it's, that's the, I feel like that's kind of the moral dilemma is you, you get that with Nancy and you get that sort of throughout the, the thing where it's, you wonder whether or not she and, and everyone in that situation outside of Kyle, I guess would have yeah. been um, better off if Kyle had died. And yeah, it's weird. You know, it's, it's tough to think about because, you know, it's one of those things like when you have a kid or you have a loved one, right. You, you, you care about them. But in this instance, it's like Kyle is still there, but not, not really. Yeah. Um, and it's just dealing with the idea of, and you know, I've never, I've never really given serious thought to this because it's never been something obviously that's, that's come up for me, but just sure. the idea of, your life essentially not being able to move forward. Yeah. Cause that's what I, I mean, that's what I see in this situation is you have this sort of person who's now, it, it, they're no longer your son in a way they're, they're kind of your ward for as long as you, even when they grow into adulthood, you know, they're still not going to be functioning in the same way for you. And so they'll always need your care. They'll, you know, until the day that you die and then what? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. You do, it is as as weird as it is to say, or as maybe cruel as it is to say that, yeah, I think in some ways, like, uh, Nancy would have been a lot better off if if Kyle had actually died instead of just getting, you know, seriously, seriously injured. But, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 it's hard to say that, right? Because, yeah. you know, I know that there are real people out there that deal with stuff like this all the time that that have had a loved one or a child or a parent that have been, you know, seriously injured or maybe had some sort of incident that is, that is not necessarily crippled them, but maybe or just old age. them. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you even have kind of the, the situation too with Brooks's uh, grandmother with Alzheimer's. That's like yeah. another, you know, it's another situation where it's your life is no longer moving forward. It's just sort of stuck. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I almost think that there's an implication just because we never see uh, Toe and, and Marco's family. Yeah. That like Nancy might have been able to move on and like, you know, you know, process her her grief fully. And, you know, she has a different set of grief, obviously. But, um, 
you know, I, I, I think in some ways that, you know, not Kyle not being around would have would have maybe helped her, may, maybe saved her marriage. That seems to be, you know, kind of on the rocks. Yeah. What, did, what did you. I was going to kind of shift to Tim because um, okay. we haven't we haven't really talked too too much about him in depth. But what did you think it says about Tim or Tim's plan that he left Kyle behind sort of at the last minute? Um, I get, I get it to some extent because it's one of those things. It's a decision that he made and like, how can you really in good conscience, like make that for someone else, even right. though you know that, um, like leaving isn't you're, you're already compounding, right? Uh, someone who's essentially lost who they were. They've lost their friends. Yeah. Except for you. They're, you know, you know that, um, you know, his mom is struggling. You know that that whole situation is is a pain and you're essentially removing another potential person to help alleviate that. And you're removing that again from Kyle. Not that it's, you know, something that he would necessarily um, be capable of understanding. But, yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, Tim had had set in his mind that he was going to do this and, and we can talk about just sort of the idea behind that that decision and, and how it reflects on his mental health yeah um here in a sec but i don't know it, it's i could see both sides to it as 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 line righty bullshit as that like it does seem selfish that he would leave kyle behind and, and he would go and do that but at the same time like that's not a decision for him to make for someone else so i right. can understand it from that standpoint as well yeah, I mean, it's sort of the embodiment of of all of his like second guessing throughout yeah. the day, right? You know, whether or not he should say something to his mom, leave a note, you know, all all that kind of stuff that that he was sort of weighing, and I think it kind of undercuts his his whole reason for wanting to do it uh, in the first place, you know, which is at least you know sort of on paper, so to speak, you know, that he sort of does want to complete what should have happened, yeah. Um, and, you know, makes the, the situation much more about himself than about the the event, you know, in, in its entirety, sort of, so to speak. Um, I was relieved, too, that, that he left Kyle because, you know, like, I think part of part of Nancy's able to uh, Nancy's uh, ability to sort of process things is is having the routine with Kyle. And even though, it you know, it's at. Uh, the peril of of you know her um, autonomy and and her relationship with you know her husband and stuff. Yeah, she still you know very much is defined by the day to day and and sort of you know trying to rebuild Kyle, waiting for you know moments of things to you know uh, recognition that that sort of thing. And that is that is true. Yeah, it's one of those things that as as much of a struggle as it is with in Kyle's present situation, there is like that potential optimism that maybe something in the future could happen for him that maybe you're not permanently in this situation. So why would you just, I guess, assume that, but yeah. What did you think of, of Tim's plan? Like before, I guess it's, it's execution <laughs> pun intended. That was grim. That was really, uh, before his execution is what you should have said. Yeah. Uh, well, him and him and Brooks, him and Brooks, yeah. Um, good just, plan, bad plan. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't think there's any such thing as a good plan when you're going about trying to kill yourself. Um, I mean, I'm, uh, and this is again, this is kind of a separate thing. Just I with when it comes to suicide and just the the thoughts that go behind that. Like, I'm obviously not a big. Uh, I'm not a big proponent of that. Yeah. I under you I'm a person say. I'm a person who understands kind of that or or at least I can empathize with that that mental state that that you feel that that's kind of the only avenue that you have to take but I don't know like it it it's definitely a teenager, right? Like yeah. in a poetic sense of sort of completing the circle and I'm going to go and I'm going to go recreate it a year later exactly in order to sort of it just seems Less about the idea of your, you know, of ending whatever pain you're in and yeah. more about just the the extravagance of it all or sort of that that 
sort of completion of it all, completing the circle of it yeah. all. Because the reality of it is, is you know, he certainly could have gone about in less dangerous and less potentially harmful to other people ways if he was truly set on ending his own life. Sure. This was just kind of the just the the weird, like romantically, I guess, infused thoughts of a of a mentally ill teenager. I you know, I thought it was really interesting the way that Onan try like set this whole thing up because you know, if if you take a step back and think about it, like you don't I mean, you obviously um, are hoping, or at least I found myself hoping that, you know, Tim would come to a revelation at some point. Or, or the, the Brooks ghost. would succeed. Yeah, like some, something. Somebody, somehow there would be an intervention. Yeah. Or a change of heart. But but at the same time, um, I, I found myself um, not just looking at Tim like, um, well, he's crazy. Like, he shouldn't feel this way. He shouldn't, you know, be con- considering this, like, the 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 plan and and the sort of uh yeah the 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 romantic way i guess you could say about um how he approached this and i think his like his his clarity um which again like you know i don't i don't want to imply like that killing yourself is is ever a a good uh plan but um he is presented to us as a character um with justifiable reasons um that are uh not based in 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 sort of momentary emotion which are the things you you generally think about when somebody doesn't want to live right it's it's a it's a point in time something dramatic um you know not sort of the slow burn like like tim's had and and he has you know a, a seemingly successful life right he's doing really well in school he's yeah. got a job he's, he's got a great relationship with his parents um, despite, you know, everything that's, that's, that's going on. So I found like, as a reader, you're, you're sort of struggling between like, I understand where, where Tim's coming from and I'm not fighting him like on that too much, yeah. but also like, I sort of expected that to be, uh, something that would be prevented, you know, either through sort of a, a character revelation or Brooks or, yeah. you know, Kyle, you know, maybe doing something, you know, whatever you could have seen this going different ways. Um, how did, how did you, did you feel any differently about it? Like after, after he died, after, the, after the wreck? Um, no, cause there wasn't really anything. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. Cause we go immediately after that into the, the whole little like epilogue where they're going backwards in time, I yeah. guess to, to just sort of before everything had happened and, I don't know. It just seemed so. I'm gonna be honest. It seemed dumb. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I get it. I get it again for the for the poetic nature, and I get it through the lens of his mind. But yeah, it just seemed completely unnecessary. Yeah. Well, it's definitely unnecessary. And I thought it was interesting too. I mean, just think about like the the whole like crash scene, right? You've got Travis and Greg there that are. Yeah lighting this burning tree on tree. fire to, to, to burn it down to, yeah. you know, sort of say like, fuck you. Like, yeah. you know, this, this is, uh, this is done. And then, you know, and they're running down the road, you know, toward this burning tree and then, you know, get tangled up in a wreck and, and both end up crashing into it. I mean, that scene in and of itself was ridiculous. Yeah. Like if, if you think about it and, uh, yeah, I just, I sort of had this sense yeah, as far after it as happened like, that I was just sort of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, it's yeah, it was one of those things. The uh, I, I don't know, not uh, I wouldn't necessarily say like poetic, but just kind of the ending. It, it yeah. was like a story, like a movie type ending. You know, this 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 chase. You know, Tim's trying to 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 get away from Brooks. Brooks is trying to get up there so he can swerve to get him off the road to prevent him from doing this and meanwhile the tree's on fire and they're just both barreling down and yeah it's just chaos and i mean brooks repeats his mistake again yeah and i mean that's that's the that's the sad part i think about about this this whole thing is that you know both of these characters you know went through this this tragic thing and like neither of them really learned anything from brooks certainly probably more than tim um, being responsible for that. Um, 
But at least, yeah, for both of them, it seems like, you know, their life, you know, their life never moved on past this for a year. So it's kind of like at the end of the book, I mean, it's really kind of like they were already gone and this was just kind of the physical manifestation of that. Yeah. With a new, with, you know, just the, the repeating of everything. So then I had one last question. Okay. Um, and I think I think the, the sort of the bigger question here is that you know obviously Tim has gone through a traumatic experience absolutely, and there's no reference that I can remember anyway where you know he went to counseling or his parents like did anything for him and to have gone through something like that and to not have, um, I mean you 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 have to you have to have you know some some sort of support system um, for your mental health after that. I mean, are Tim's parents to blame for, you know, sort of just getting things back to normal and, you know, letting him have his, his freedom and, you know, not being sort of the Nancy type um, parents or being what I would deem responsible parents and like have him sit down with a psychologist and like work through this stuff. Um, yeah, it's tough. I feel like in, I feel like in two ways, right? Like when you're trying, I, I guess like seeing it from the eyes of a parent, your most important thing is you're trying to comfort your child, right? You're trying yeah. to like somehow bring them back to whatever of a, a, a state of normalcy is for them. Right. And, uh, so I get maybe just sort of being a little bit more, more passive. I don't think that that's necessarily like the healthiest option to take because really, I mean, you can't, there's no way to expect um, I mean, anyone, let alone a teenager to not have these like, like long lasting ramifications from that. And, you know, as much as it, as much as it seems like it would be the good thing to just sort of like, Hey, we're going to be very sort of careful with this. We're going to just try to like get you back into a normal state of mind. We want you to be happy. We want, you know, we don't want to stress you out with having to maybe send you and sort of bring and dredge these things back up again or like I can understand that sort of uh, that internal conflict uh, whenever it comes to like dealing with that, especially when you're dealing with someone else. Because I know, like personally, like even not on like this level of distress, right? Like obviously, I've never been in a in a fatal car accident, um, so I I can't necessarily experience that. But you know, we've all had states of sort of loss, whether it's you know people loved one. Hell, we both lost grandparents this year, and that's yeah. obviously not on the same level. But to some extent, like you know, you you kind of see it even as like an external person, and it's it's one of those things that it's it, the natural reaction seems to be to try to just like have normalcy, yeah, or, or to try to get things to normalcy and not necessarily you know, over-examine or, or over-analyze something or, or say, well, hey, you know, you need to, we need to make sure that you're right. You need to talk to someone, a professional about this, so that we can make sure that everything's in order because, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want you to have to dredge that up and think about it, you know, all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think we have an obligation to, you know, people that, that go through, um, that go through, you know, tragedy to, to be sort of caretakers for, you know, their, their mental health, because, you know, there people need different things, you know, when, when they go through a grieving process and, you know, Tim, I think needed, you know, much more, um, involved treatment, you know, for, for what he was going through. And, you know, sometimes, you know, even if he had gone and, and talked to somebody, maybe, you know, that they wouldn't have been able to, to you know, sort of dredge up, uh, you know, his plan or, or convince him um, of, uh, you know, uh, that he had his, his whole life, you know, to um, to live. And, and this was, you know, just a, a moment in time kind of thing. And, you know, I, th- I think it highlights the, the fact that, you know, we're we really can only ever be responsible for the, the people that we are. And, you know, we can, we can treat people with, with decency and respect and, you know, carefulness and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and we should, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we can't influence, you know, people to, to, to be better, um, you know, especially in the realm of, of, of mental health. Um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, man. Like, you know, my, my family's gone through my, my dad killed himself when, when I was a kid. And, uh, 
you know, that's that's something that I had to go through, you know, as a child. And, you know, even now, uh, you know, almost 30 years later, uh, it's still something that, you know, you just it sort of comes up every now and then. And, uh, you know, there's certainly different ways to to deal with with grief and um, and all of that kind of stuff. You know, obviously, if anybody's listening and they're they're dealing with, you know, mental health issues, I, I would you know, urge you to, to, you know, talk to, um, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, there's, you know, uh, suicide, you know, helplines and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to see past things, but even just grief, um, you know, for, for people that, that you've lost, that's a tough thing. I've got, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, who's a writer that, uh, she based, uh, at least right now, a lot of her, her stuff is, just based on like grief and, and yeah. she's um, she's got all these like uh, poetry groups that she's running and, and uh, she's, she's in academia. So she's uh, her classes and curriculum are, are tend to be around like family and grief and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's another Avenue for, you know, sort of dealing with, with these things, you know, literature is a, a great way sometimes to get perspective or a sense of community, you know, when it comes to things. So, yeah, I, I there's you know this is a this is a somber book um, in in some ways if you start to really like drive down into into some of the themes, but I don't want to like take away um, from the book itself and make it seem like it was this depressing thing because it it was it really, a good book. It really yeah, it was that was always kind of a secondary like the yeah. actual the actual story of itself. It wasn't necessarily as just sort of weighed down by that. Like yeah. It was obviously like a, an element that was present, but no, absolutely. I agree. So should we get into our, our ratings? Yeah. If you got nothing else, I got nothing else. I checked every box on my on my page. Well, then the question is, did this book check every box for you, Ryan? You're going to give me your rating first. Yeah. Um, yeah. This 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 book checked a lot of a lot of my boxes. Um I think it had, uh, you know, well, well thought out characters, unexpected um, sort of plot and uh, and the way that he set up sort of, you know, common tropes um, like, you know, dealing with with ghosts and how they they work um, and was just it, it was very deep. Um, it was as shallow as you want to make it, but as, as deep as you want to, too. Obviously, the last couple of minutes of our discussion. Uh, so I'm going to put this book I'm going to put it on my top shelf. Okay. You were a little you were a little reserved about that, a little hesitant. Yeah, so it's just I, like barely on the top shelf. No, I I think Yeah, I mean Don't be afraid to put books on the top shelf, Ryan. Okay? I, no, I I just I I hesitate um just because Yeah. No, I I don't I don't know. I I I'm going to keep this on, on on my top shelf. I think I think Onan is a uh, phenomenal writer that writes with an extraordinary amount of depth, but also clarity on a superficial level. And I think I think the story is is phenomenal. I think you know I would recommend this to to just about anybody, uh, and especially around Halloween because it's it's kind of Halloweeny. Kinda. See, here's the thing: when you were when you were selling me on this book, or yeah. I guess when you were presenting this book, I thought that it was going to be a lot more like spooky ghost stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't really turn out to be like that. Not to say that that was a disappointment at all, because yeah. uh, I do have a history, I guess, of setting you know certain expectations. But uh, I'm keeping the book, obviously. Yeah. I'm gonna also put it on the top shelf. Okay. Because uh, it checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, Close to universal recommend. I think there's a lot of people in my life that I could think about recommending this to that would enjoy it. I enjoyed the characters. The writing was fantastic. I would definitely, I would definitely be open to reading something else by Onan again uh, on the podcast. Just overall, I mean, for a relatively like short book, I mean, we're talking only what like 220, 230 pages here. Yeah. I mean, it was. It's got some weight to it. It's got some some heft to it. So yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good choice by you. Top Thank shelf you. for me as well. Uh. And it, and again, like I've read the odds, which is even shorter. I think that's technically like novella length. I think it's like a hundred and fifty ish pages. Yeah. Uh. That one's even like more concise and just as poignant. Um. And. Uh, and last night at the lobster is 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 really great too. He sort of channels that uh, sort of like Raymond Carver, like sort of like mundane situation kind of uh, kind of stuff. But yeah. um, 
all of his writing is substantially similar in style to to what you see here. So cool. It's uh, interesting that you mentioned Raymond Carver. Since yes, he got bumped. He from did get our bumped. future reading us. Well, he'll get he'll get back on there. Yeah. He's on the short list. But uh, let's talk about what we got coming up in future episodes. Your book's next. My so book. You, you present is it next as I get a big stretch in again. It's Sunday morning. We're still kind of <laughs> we're still loosening. I got to get prepped for football watching here. Yeah. Pretty soon. So our next book is going to be Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. Um, I've heard good things about this. It's kind of uh, it's 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 going to be a little bit more out there. It's yeah. a little bit more abstract. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism in here, and it's sort of essentially um, essentially what? Are you reading the back of the book? Yeah, sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> It's Sunday morning. I was Herman Hesse was born in Germany, but after World War II, he lived in self-imposed exile in Switzerland. Yeah. Interesting, where he became a citizen. No. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving that in. We're back. I know you are. It's fine. You don't have to take it out. I just it was one. Of, this is why I don't read back covers because yeah. I just get distracted by that. But no, good book. Um, I'm super excited to read it, and uh, we'll have that to talk about on our next episode. Then afterwards. Uh, afterwards, then, we have the uh, 2018 Man Booker Prize winner, uh, Anna Burns, and we're going to be reading her book, Milkman, which is about the uh, uh, Ireland and the, what is it, Time of Troubles? Is that what they called it? Now, um, we were, okay, so we were talking about this before. Was this, this was when the, this was the, like, the, the Civil War, right, with the IRA was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not as up to yeah. date on my Irish history. No, as me I neither. So be. it'll be it'll be an education. Well, for both half of, us. of my family are greys, so I probably should be more in the know. Yeah. Well, uh, so that's that's going to be our uh, our twelve three episode, and then after that on twelve seventeen, just in time for Christmas. Just in time for Christmas. I know everyone's favorite episode of the year. I'm hyping it up. It's going to be super awesome. It's a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Excellent. Timeless classic. Excellent. And then we have one more episode for a TBD book after that. It comes out New Year's Eve? It comes out on New Year's Eve. That'll be interesting. You're yes. still you're still you're still working the wheels on that one. Haven't yeah. quite come to something. I know you mentioned sci-fi, maybe not last episode, maybe the episode before. Yeah, so I've got my next sci-fi pick um decided, but I don't know if I want to do that one. I'm trying to find a book that is sort of rounds out the the year. Um, for us, we like, could just scrap a book and then just we could just watch Love Actually instead. Oh, that's more like Christmas. You can you can watch that with my okay. wife. That's her favorite movie of all time, and I she's hate moving it. up the rankings and like power rankings of people I know. Oh my gosh, can she just you, leap, you she just leap like that movie? It. Yeah, I have a soft spot for like sappy Christmas movies. I see. I like the. I, I'm I'm up for a good like rom com, but like I. Or, you know, any sort of romantic movie, I guess. But, like, that one just irks the hell out of me for some reason. Oh. It's because you have poor taste. <sighs> that I do. And I don't know actors or anything. It's all right. It's all right. It's very all right. That's well. why we're not making better the movie shelf. Yeah, maybe we should maybe after we my, should. my uh, example of ignorance today. Uh, all right. So that is our episode for this week. Um, we've got Herman Hesse's uh, Steppenwolf next time. Thank you for listening, and until next time.